How we doing, everybody? Welcome back to the Hustle and Grind podcast for another week with Ryan and Noah. I'm Ryan Coakley, Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks. I'm here with Noah Bloomberg of the Antioch River Forge. And this week we got Nate Walpole of Walrus Steel. What's going on, Nate? Hey, how's it going, guys? Happy to be here. Welcome, sir. Yes. Was that a little dog I heard in the background? It's not in the background, but uh, one floor up, yeah. I've uh, told the rest of the family to kind of hush just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of, uh, um, not podcasting, but online teaching as well. So, Well, what do you teach yeah, online? <clears throat> Sorry? What do you teach online? Um, well, uh, during the pandemic, I had to teach online for a little bit there. Um, but normally, it's in person. Um, I teach video game art and animation. I've uh, been teaching at the college level for about nine years, been doing game art and animation professionally for 23. So that's my day gig. And then uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to do art in other areas in the last two years, knife making, um, you know, just to get myself off the computer to some point. So Nice. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are Canadian who resides in Vermont, right? I am. I am a Canuck in Vermont. Basically, Canada light. Nice. Canada where, light. Where, where in Vermont are you? I'm out in uh, just uh, about a half hour. Well, depending on how fast I drive, half hour outside of Burlington, uh, in Jericho, Vermont. Oh, nice. Foothills. Yep. Foothills of Mount Mansfield. I've been to Burlington. Yeah. I actually have a crazy story from Burlington, Vermont. So, my brother and I and 13 of our buddies rented a huge passenger van and drove to Vermont for a concert. And on our way back, we were headed to the Cabot cheese factory and we got stopped in this big line of traffic. Cause this truck loaded with scrap metal was going to the scrapyard and caught on fire and was just like burning in the middle of the road. Pretty cool story. The scrap metal caught on fire. No, the truck caught on fire. Oh, okay. It's like the engine like blew up sort of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. I've had that happen one time. My, my wife hit a deer in my car and it burst into flames. Nice. The deer? Oh, then, no, well, I mean, the deer got a little bit barbecued, but yeah. No, she was. Well, so there's, there's one of those. I don't believe in like manifesting or, or anything like that, but she was walking out the door. She was taking our friend's kid home. And they live about four miles up the river road. And as she walks out the door, they're like, well, what, what rig do we want to take? And she's like, well, do you want to hit a deer in a Tahoe or in a Cobalt? And I was like, babe, you can't say, you can't say that. Like, no. Yep. And so they ended up taking the Cobalt. Sure enough, boom, they hit a deer. They got out, got a ride up to uh, their house, dropped the kid off, and they were coming back down. And as they were coming back down, they saw that the car was completely engulfed in flames. Nice. For some unknown reason. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Cars burn good. And you know what? My cigars that were in the back seat were just fine. I was able to retrieve those. And 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 my my wife said that it was in poor taste that I lit a cigar off of the burning car. But (laughs) But that's okay. So, anyways, so let's let's uh, let's talk about Nate here. So, you have a history now in art and graphic design. I wanted to ask you about your logo and kind of the inspiration behind that because it's a very interesting logo. Like, I, I'm a 
I'm a sucker for solid imagery and marketing. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but the logo that you have on your t-shirt right now um, is sort of the inset of a walrus face and the tusks are actually knives. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's, uh, that's my maker's mark as well. So um, there's a bunch of different stages of badass maker's mark. Yeah, it, it's it's fun. Uh, it made for a really good hot stamp, and it, it etches well, and and takes takes black really well on the blade. So um, yeah, I, I I lucked out a little bit by just playing off my last name uh, nickname, not the most popular one, but uh, was Walrus uh, every now and then. And uh, I got a big long beard, and you know, and I could split it and make it look like knives and. <laughs> So it's kind of a, a playoff of, you know, the, the, my last name, Walrisk, Tusks as Knives, and just to help, you know, separate myself and, and build that brand. Because branding is, whether we like it or not, it's, it's half of what you sell. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I th- I th- uh, Brian House always says something along the lines of, you know, 10% of what you do is, is making it and then 90% is selling it. And I suck at that 90%, you know, that's just not really where my, uh, where my drive is towards. And I am always very, I don't know, impressed, I guess, by the people that do it well. And it's always cool to see that, really? that solid marketing and stuff. It kind of just, just comes naturally, you know, I just do this. I just do this part time. It's just for fun. Well, sure. Yeah. For the people that yeah. people that do it well, you Same know, it's here. obviously, you know, uh, it's, it, it can be a skill that's learned, but it, it also can be, you know, something that you're just born with and that natural affinity towards that. Well, I've been, uh, I've been wanting to go into art, some kind of art career since, you know, I was a little wee kid. Um, I was always drawing and uh, absorbing comic books and animation. So I kind of found my calling. I went to school up in Canada for animation, uh, classical animation, so Disney style, all the hand-drawn stuff, and then did uh, post-grad in computer animation, and yeah, um, went on to, you know, work on some pretty interesting titles and um, interesting projects, and, and uh, now I'm, I'm giving back and, and teaching the, 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 new, the new echelon, if you will, you know, while, while getting summers off to play with knives, so. That's cool. That's cool. So like you'd be capable of making like a little intro video for a YouTube channel or something like that. <laughs> I could if somebody do all that stuff. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, my, <laughs> let's just say my hourly rate in the shop is, does not equal my hourly rate with art and computers. So um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. A... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure in the shop, I make a third of what I do as a mechanic. If you were to make it an hourly rate, uh, if that, yeah, I, I pay I, myself about four bucks an hour. Yeah. I, I barely make minimum wage. I think most of the time when I'm making knives. Yeah. So yeah, it's worth, how, you know, sorry, please go. Ahead. How long, how long you been doing it? Um, so I've been making knives for about two years. Um, but really seriously for about the last year or so, um, I, last January, um, I took things a bit more seriously and, uh, did a workshop with Noah Vachon and uh, so I went up to my native Canada and that was an interesting border crossing at the time. Um, but went up to Noah's place for a weekend and, and uh, just, yeah, hit it off. His stick grinding method is just amazing. Um, uh, 
the way that he sets up his handles. I, I wanted to learn that and I wanted to do stainless up there as well. So yeah, uh, for the first year though, I was basically um, gathering knowledge and it's kind of like what I do as a bit of an academic as well, right? I'm just pulling in things. I'm, I'm not completing finished knives per se, but I am testing heat treat. I'm testing fit ups. I'm building my machinery and building my shop out, right? The first year was me, you know, building the revolution grinder and building all my own tooling and forge and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a fun ride so far and I'm, I'm just about ready to launch my, my, my site and, and, and put some stuff out to, to public. I've already had some, nice. a lot of knives tested by friends and family, right? But it's, it's time to, to, to get it out there and uh, have yeah. some of that, that expression, you know. Um, so are you, you not actually selling knives or taking orders at the moment? I don't take orders. Um, I am going to just make knives and put them up for sale. And that's all part and parcel with that branding, helping carry that stuff too. So, um, nice. yeah, it, uh, uh, I don't have time for that during the, the, the school year, right? I teach a full load each semester. So the fall semester and then the spring semester, um, it, it takes a, it takes a lot out of you, uh, managing, you know, uh, crazy college students. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there will be, um, you know, some merch and some, some knives up in the shop next week. So nice. Very cool. Nice. Awesome. Yep. I feel like, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth cause I built my revolution from scratch. I built my oven and I idolize Noah Vachon. <laughs> Noah's a good guy. Um, yeah, he, he really is. Shop and uh, He continues to, you know, poke a few little, you know, tidbits of advice here and there. And I love the fact that he's, you know, just now set up um, an open channel for folks to, to hit him up online um, with some monetization because, you know, time isn't free. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really smart thing on his part. And, uh, yeah, I got a lot of information from him. Uh, James Fleming was always uh, very open with advice, too. Um, met those guys down at Blade Show. Yeah, so it, it's been an interesting year. Uh, the beginning of the year, I had a, I was off on sabbatical, so I didn't have to teach in the spring. So it was just me and nothing but my shop for the most part. Uh, that was actually part of my sabbatical plan is, is to, to, to really put myself in the, 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 the mindset of a student again, right? And, and really suck at something until, you know, you finally break that bubble and get good. So uh, everybody needs to suck before they can... It's a great motivator when, when you, when you're, you know, like we're all very critical people and I know we're all critical of our own work, especially. So it's a very great motivator when you, when you build something and you're like, man, that sucks. I hate, I hate, you know, these four aspects of it. And then you build the next one and you focus on those aspects and you're like, okay, what else did I suck at? What else do I hate about this thing? And then you move on and you fix those things. And uh, yeah, sucking is very important. It is. It is. And uh, a lot of folks don't realize that professionals in their field, they'll be just as, you know, critical of their own work as, as, as newcomers. Right. Um, hopefully the newcomers are critical. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, cognitive dissonance on quality out there. Um, you can see that in some of the beginning forums. Um, <laughs> look at my amazing shiv I made. That's great. So you give them a laundry list and either they, they really take that feedback and they take it to heart and they, 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 
you know, roll with it and, and improve, you know, immensely on their next knife or, you know, they take that feedback and take it to heart and just give you a middle finger and walk away. Right. So um, there's two types of personalities when it comes to constructive critique. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm of the mindset where I, I take that feedback and I, 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 I sit on it and I stew on it and I really kind of focus on what, what is at the core of what they're saying here? What can I do better? How can I incrementally change and how can I massively change, you know, jump from plateau to plateau if that's an opportunity. Right. Um, I know, you know, as a professional game animator, um, we work on sequels all the time, right? When you're working on a game, you got the sequel to make it better, right? Oops, we didn't get to it this time. You know what? We'll do it, you know, on the next one. And I know when I shipped Halo 2, um, it was, uh, I hated the brutes and I hated the animation and the direction that we chose on the brutes. And part of that was my fault. And I take complete ownership over that, but Halo 3, we made them awesome. And you know, had a second chance, if you will, or a third chance, and a fourth, and a fifth. Hold the fucking hey, phone. You Halo worked 3. on the original Halos? I, so I joined Bungie um, about two and a half years into my career um, as, a, as a senior animator on Halo 2. So they just shipped Halo 1, um, and then I joined up and, and was working on Halo 2. And right after I started, the one animator there, he left to... To, to go and work on a personal project. So it was just me. Uh, so after like this big thing of Halo 1, I'm tasked with trying to make Halo 2 awesome in the animation front, uh, in the gameplay front. And uh, it was, uh, I, I was there for a year before we finally took on other animators. Um, so it kind of burnt me out a little bit, but I got to, you know, um, prototype things like dual wielding and boarding and all the other kind of fun signature stuff that kind of made Halo 2 really successful. So, yeah. That's I amazing. For, I worked on the Halo franchise for almost 10 years. Those yeah. games were a huge part of my teen years. Cool. And early Halo, 20s. Halo 3 was absolutely my like most influ influential game on myself. So I had actually just gotten out of the hospital from a pretty significant brain trauma right when it came out or or right right around the time when it was you know really building up steam and all my buddies were playing it and everything and at the time i couldn't sit up straight and that was just basically because my my brain was it was draining off all of the brain fluid so my brain was just sitting on the inside of my skull without any uh support so i played like the full uh campaign and all like the online gameplay with my buddies sitting sideways on a couch and i will never i will never forget those days of playing halo 3 like sideways and then finally i got better and i was able to sit upright and everything and halo 3 was a huge game for us that we played a ton when i was a teenager that was a huge thing you're gonna make me choke up man it's uh it's, it's always humbling hearing those stories and and uh we've had you know, in the studio, we had lots of Make-A-Wish kids come through, lots of celebrities come through, and each one of them had, you know, their, their own kind of personal attachment to the game. And uh, it, it's what makes the game dev really, at that time, it made it really, really rewarding. So, thank and you. I, I love those games because Legendary Mode was, it was actually really fucking hard. You know, like, it, a lot of games, like, the hardest mode is still beatable. I only know one person who's been able to go through the campaign on Legendary, and it's my boss's 70-something-year-old dad. 
Those are the only video games he he goes down to Florida for the winter, but he hates people, so he just plays Halo. But he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to use the internet, so he's got a old school Xbox. Yeah, that's awesome. uh, The old the old the old Duke controller, the big Mm -hmm. big big disc football. That one, yeah, those controllers, they're so good. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's no, awesome. it, was, uh, it was quite an experience, and and you know, um, I'm actually working on a Halo knife right now. Um, it'll be uh, up for auction uh, with proceeds to charity to Child's Play um, in the new year. So, actually, hold on. Oh, I want to see it. Template right there. Nice. It's a Master Chief scale, so I it's see that big and it's heavy, and yeah, it is. It is going to be quite quite big. That's super cool. I've always I've always wanted to do a knife or something like that from, you know, one of one of my many things that I nerd out about and Halo's one of those. I've always wanted to make the uh it's it's kind of like a machete looking sword that's when you look at the the difficulties, it's you've got the yep. alien skull with the the crossed swords. Oh, I want to make one of those. Yeah, it was a choice between that or or this uh this other more reach uh inspired knife and I did the reach one just because it's got fullering and and proper guard and pommel and a different fit up for that. So that'll be, be badass, man! I can't wait to see it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, so. Cool. Was, so what Sorry. other? Oh, I was going to say. So what? What other games or or projects have you been involved in, and that people might uh, people might know about? Um. So when I started in the in the industry, I worked on a wrestling game that didn't have a ring. You can blame EA and their focus groups for that. Um, that was a WCW backstage assault. Though I got to meet Goldberg, he's awesome, um, and and some other wrestlers. Um, and then uh, that studio, they closed their doors, like many of them did back in, you know, uh, '99 to 2001. We were there, so the early 2000s, they closed their doors because they were kind of a third-party shop. Um, then I found my way over to Bungie, um, worked on Halo 2, Halo 3. Uh, after Halo 3, I was looking for something a little bit different and went on over to Microsoft. They kind of um, poached me, I guess you could say, um, because they were taking over the Halo mantle for 343. Um, we were working on something different that wasn't supposed to be Halo 4. Um, it was the second time working with um, Peter Jackson uh, director Peter Jackson and his team, um, and that got canceled because of the suits. But uh, uh, that's another story for another day, the politics of, of game development. Oh, um, and then uh, um, I found, you know, working on a faceless sci-fi space marine for 10 years was running a bit dry, and I went over and started working on uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Um, so the, the MMO, um, worked on that for a little bit, did some creature work. Uh, then found out they weren't having dragons because, you know, Bethesda was owning that portion of it. Um, yeah, and then MMO Dev wasn't for me. It's a, it's a different kind of development than um, cutting-edge, you know, AAA first-person shooters. Um, too many, too many so limits it was, on... It was a bit stifling. There were usually... MMO Dev is usually like two revisions of tech behind, and, and there's so many other considerations, and uh, it's it's a bit stifling create creatively in in my realm um but for you know lore masters and, and storytellers it's it's you know it's a play field right um but uh yeah worked on eso for a couple of years and then uh 
kind of had a bit of an awakening and I was either going to open up my own food truck or just go uh, and do uh, independent animation and be a, be a freelancer. So I started in the freelancing. Um, some recruiters caught wind that I was freelancing and pushed me towards education. And I found this place up here, Champlain College in Vermont. And uh, they run their, their, their um, four-year program much like a studio. So it felt natural to kind of be in that. If it was the regular kind of setup that you get academically, I don't think I would have done it. But because it's more studio-based and I can treat all my students like juniors in the industry, right? Um, we can be relaxed about it and we can have some fun yet still be serious about making this content. Um, it just made sense. So, and it made sense, you know, uh, for my, my family, I got two young kids and uh, we needed to move back somewhere that had hockey, you know, 24 seven. So, um, cause that's my religion. Um, but, uh, cause you're Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, even though I'm suspended right now, but that's another story. <laughs> I'm a completely different person when I'm on the ice. I'm a nice guy outside, but yeah, there's just this switch that kind of flips when I on the ice or in the ring. So yeah. Um, yeah there's the a warning. And I've been, I've been, you know, just uh, toying with a bunch of different art and doing some comic book illustration. And then I decided to kind of get into, in, into, into bladesmithing. So crazy. Yeah. You're my fucking hero. I, uh, I, <laughs> played the shit out of Morrowind and you see the knives. Okay. And then, then you can, you can judge hero status after that. All right. I'm just going back to the elder scrolls. Cause I played the hell out of Morrowind. I don't play video games anymore. I get, I feel guilty when I do. And, yeah. but when I was younger, I devoted days and weeks on end to that. And Morrowind Skyrim, all the all the Elder Scrolls, the Final Fantasies, and the Halos were like my three go tos. Yeah, all properties with a really strong narrative. So, good yeah, story I time. feel like I feel like I'm sitting here with a celebrity, and we've had like celebrities on, but like this is like even better. Well, just just the anyways. Halo three, just the Halo three part of the aspect of it, because like I knew that you had worked on that stuff because I've heard uh, I think Brian House has mentioned it before. And so uh, I, I kind of knew that, but I guess I didn't know to, the, to what degree you were involved in it to, to know that you were that heavily uh, involved in the animation of everything that we saw playing Halo 3 for the, all those years. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah. That is that is very awesome. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And um, I'm taking a lot of that kind of training and sensibility and trying to build it back into my knife making, right? Um, you know, I look to my left here and I've got a 3d printer and I'm starting to do some lost PLA casting and playing around with that and seeing how my skills in the 3d space can translate over to knife making as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing some four axis, uh, CNC work, uh, over at a local makerspace. I rely on them heavily cause they got a big mill and everything else, but, um, yeah, yeah. Just, just trying to have some fun with it and extend, you know, my, my creativity into, you know, a new space relatively. You shouldn't, you shouldn't disparage your knives. I'm looking at them right now and they look really good. So the, uh, the, the mill work that I've seen on your Instagram and stuff, that's all at the makerspace. Is that, is that what you're saying? It's all at the makerspace. I swear by makerspaces, more makers should really leverage that stuff. If you've got a local one near you, go there, go there for classes, learn the tooling. You'll be amazed at what you can um, creatively you know, make up once you understand 
how to beat some of those limitations and, and use the tools to to create you know the, the 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 pieces in your mindset right when i'm designing new knives i'm always thinking about what tooling am i going to use and you're always limited by what tooling you can use right uh, for those designs so um yeah just even with fullering just a simple ball end mill and boom you've got a fuller and uh in no time <laughs> so yeah i'm looking at these double fuller knives that you've been doing like one of them's a single fuller and then you've got a cleaver with a double fuller on it you yeah, the double really... fuller one is a it's a small little um kind of like a cheese board knife um the handle also has some double fullering in it too and it, it's it plays off of some art history art art deco right um, where I'm pulling in some of my other knowledge between, but behind, you know, my art background into some other knife making. So, I mean, if right. you look at that carefully and you look at the trains that are Art Deco trains back in the day, right? The streamlined trains kind of looks oh, like that. Oh, okay. With that, with that Warren Cliff, you know, uh, um, point to it and then the double fullers. Yeah. So just I playing off that, that, that works, right? Yeah, no. They bore on steel. It's good to, uh, have that other knowledge in the bank also to bring up with your knives because it keeps you original and the most successful knife makers have recognizable knives. Does that make sense? Yep. And that's what I've been going for and why I've been holding things close to the chest for, for the last year. You don't see a lot of knives on my Instagram, but you see enough to get a glimpse. Um, the last glimpse too of, um, the way that I handle a lot of my pin work is through tubing and flaring, right? I was going to ask and, about uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I use a quarter inch. Um, so kind of the signature there is I have two quarter inch pins and then I've got one half inch. And you think half inch pin in a knife? That just really doesn't work. But I built my own dies to flare the half inch tubing. And and uh, so it actually does work and works well and creates a great mechanical fastener. So where was the inspiration from that from? Uh, honestly, um, one of my favorite artists, uh, Jack Kirby has circles in all of his work, um, old school comic book artist, even, you know, my one tattoo is a nod to him, my, my latest one, um, where I've got Thor's hammer and then those three dots too. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of locked in, I guess, now that it's inked on my body. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. That, I mean, that is a distinguishing characteristic of your blades. I mean, not, you don't, you don't see a whole lot of that tubing work and, and the way that you kind of i don't know if it's antiqued or, or it's it's like it's like textured when it's flared at least the one that i saw and it was just this yeah. really cool look to it with with it you can either you know leave it leave it plain and, and have the ends of the tubing be a little bit textured right um you can smooth it out with a good grind over top of it right or you can peen it over too and i've been playing around with a, a bunch of those techniques and you'll see all of them in some upcoming knives that's awesome Let's uh, give a shout out to Lawrence Lake at Maritime Knife Supply, and then we can roll right into Florida Man. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? 
Thanks, Luke. And thank you, Lawrence. Lawrence is the freaking man. I just got a box from him the other day. I posted it on Instagram. Got all my steel chopped up and ready to stack into some billets. I got a little banner that I can hang up in my shop, Maritime Knife Supply, and I am freaking excited. And I also decided that I'm going to try some of those Actatrox belts that you guys are always talking about, those those fancy blue ones. So I haven't I haven't tried them out yet, but I'm going to. Um, we'll see how they see how they hold up against what I'm used to. They hold up. Yeah, those belts have replaced my um, other shredder belts uh, for all my lower grit. Um, they've been they've been amazing. Yeah. All right. Well. Lawrence is a really great guy too. Met him in a, a few different places. I just don't know how he. I mean. The bane of my existence is UPS. I have had the worst luck with UPS. And I know it seems like everybody in different areas has that one carrier that sucks and one that's better. And it's not always the same. But for me, it's UPS. And for some reason, he'll ship me something from Canada and it'll get to my house in less than a week with freaking UPS. If I order something from Amazon and it ships UPS, it takes a week and a half. And that's from a distribution center or wherever Amazon ships from, depending on what it is. And they can't get it here within a week. And and he does. So uh, that's impressive. Canadian magic. Oh, it's Canadian magic. Okay. All right. <laughs> when I, all I can think of when I see UPS is that scene from the first Ace Ventura in the beginning. When he's, <laughs> yeah. when he's kicking the box down the hallway and like doing handstands on it. Yeah, it's gotten better though, thankfully, with like ring cameras and doorbell cameras and all that stuff. Yeah. My yeah, biggest, whole... uh, the one, the one I feel the worst for is our FedEx guy. Because anytime I order anything heavy, it comes FedEx. I ordered an Anvil, and I ordered it in the winter time, so I got to see on my camera. I actually saved it on my phone for posterity. This poor. FedEx driver carrying an anvil by hand down a snow, the snow covered slope. That is my front yard. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was cussing me a little bit after that one. My wife bought our mail lady, a $30 Dunkin' Donuts card because of all the heavy packages I get. When my BA shredder came in the mail, it was a 72 pound box. Ouch. Yeah. She, she's a little old lady. Oh, when I we ordered went- my, when I ordered my press, I think it was a 90 pound box and a 70 pound box. So I, I'm sure they didn't enjoy that. Yep. But let's roll right into Florida, man. Let's do it. Ready? No. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida, man? Or. That's right, ladies and gents, it is a time to play everyone's favorite game where Ryan, Nate, and all you lovely people at home get to guess whether we're talking about a real Florida man or a fraud from somewhere else in the country. I have in front of me three stories. All of them are 100% real, and you have to just guess whether this was a real Florida man or an imposter from somewhere else in the world. Here we go. Quick side note. Um, I appreciate all of you guys uh, taking my advice about not sending me in horrible, awful shit um, that involves bestiality (laughs) and uh, chopping up people into boxes. 
Um, but I, at the same time, my submissions have slowed down. So it's not that I don't want your stories at all. It's that I just don't want the disgusting ones that I can't read on air. So keep those submissions up. I appreciate it. Um, just, just keep them R rated. Anything keep less than light. X. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here we go. First one. Woman who got an eyeball tattoo may lose her eye. Now she's warning others. A woman posted graphic images of her eye leaking purple dye after she says a risky tattoo on her eyeball may leave her partially blind. Kat Gallagher, a 24-year-old body modification enthusiast, is trying to warn others after getting a sclerial, I can't pronounce that, tattoo, which consists of injecting ink into the white part of the eyeball. Gallagher, who has a forked tongue, piercings, and tattoos, has undergone painful procedures before, but she wrote on Facebook that immediately after the tattoo was done on September 5th, purple dye began streaming down her face, and her eye was swollen shut the next day. Do you think that this body modification enthusiast was a Florida woman or somewhere else? Hmm. Damn, man. I... I hmm. I've spent so much time in tattoo shops, like not even getting tattooed, but like my brothers have a shop. My pops had a shop. My friends had shops before that, like pretty much my entire life. Having the eyeball injections has always just been like way over the line for me. Cause it's, that's what it is. It's not a tattoo. They inject ink into your, in between the layers of your eyeball. Yeah, apparently Look. this is more common than I thought um, when I was doing research common. on this on this story. It's actually fairly common. The problem, apparently in this instance, was that the dye was maybe injected too deep. And so it ruptured the inside of her eyeball and she's probably going to have to get her eye removed. And yeah, it looked painful, uh, disgusting and weird. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking Florida. I'm going to have to disagree. Oh, and nice. the reasoning behind that is there are horrible tattoo decisions in every state, every province. It's true. It's true. Every land. Um, you see them every day. You see them at the beach. You see them in the checkout line. You see those <laughs> wonderful dolphins on wonderful women's ankles. Um, you see those awesome tribal tattoos from the 90s that were questionable choices uh, while they were listening to Creed at 11. Um, it's. It was corn. corn. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to a corn show. It's uh, interesting, interesting folks. Um, I'm a metalhead. So anyway, my cousin's a tattooist. She won't touch eyeballs. There's certain things she won't touch. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I've got the gut feeling that this doesn't feel secluded to Florida. All right. Nate's going not Florida. Ryan, are you sticking with the Florida final answer? I might as well. I've been wrong for the past like three episodes straight. So so we might as well keep it going. That was Canada. <laughs> nice. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was Saskatchewan. Well, there you go. Yeah. Great prairie folk. Uh, don't this, tattoo this, your this, eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. There's been yeah. some horror stories from my brother's shop. Oh my God. I can't like one of them. I can't even go into on the air. I've been present for numerous people passing out during piercings and either pissing or shitting their pants involuntarily. Uh, yeah. That's embarrassing when you're like a, 
smoke show 22 year old college girl and you fucking pass out during a belly button piercing and shit your pants. Wow. Yeah, that happened. <sighs> All of her friends were there too, like a bunch of sorority sisters. I don't know if they were in a sorority, but you know what I mean? That type. Right. Yeah. Bad news. Know your limits, folks. Yeah. All right, <laughs> here we go. So, uh, We've already been talking about uh, video games today, so I feel like I feel like I should let you guys know the caption that was on this one when I first saw it was uh, what was a skill based matchmaking was the caption on this one. Speeding woman on cocaine kills drunk driver high on crystal meth in this place, police say. A blank woman has been charged (laughs) with killing a drunk driver on meth while she was driving under the influence of cocaine and alcohol. The charges against 37-year-old Summer Butler come months after the fatal crash on January, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Miss Butler is accused of traveling 73 miles per hour with an alcohol level of 0.102 when she crashed into a car that was making a U-turn in the center lane. Police say the person who died was traveling at 70 miles per hour when the, tra- when the accident took near place. Uh, the identity of the deceased driver has not been released, but police say the driver had an alcohol level of more than three times above the legal limit and was under the influence of methamphetamine. The legal limit in this particular state is 0.08. Wow. That ad, that article gets the Darwin award. It's the headline that did it for me. What's that? It's that headline that did it for me, that, that punchline or whatever it was. Yes, skill-based matchmaking. Uh, <laughs> woman on cocaine kills drunk driver high on crystal meth. So, uh, yeah. So here's here's the, the, the thing that I took away from the story. She was going 73 on coke and alcohol. The person was doing a U-turn, but they say that the person that was killed was doing 70 miles an hour. So he was doing a U-turn at 70 miles an hour on meth and alcohol. And then she hit him at 73 miles an hour on Coke and alcohol. I mean, I'm surprised she didn't die too. Man, you can't kill them crackheads. (laughs) Just, just the meth heads, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. You seen them people scurrying around. Um, Just because can fight back yeah yeah that's true yeah them pcp heads man you've seen the videos on youtube of them taking on seven cops at once getting tased mm-hmm. multiple times and just pulling them out yeah just because it mentioned meth i'm gonna say florida florida as well wow just like that both of just you guys like florida immediately it sounds like a florida tale <laughs> That was Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, yeah. That makes sense, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a that was a story. I couldn't leave that one out. That one was. Uh, wow. I've been seeing a bunch, but I can't send them to you because I'm not supposed to know what they are ahead of time. So. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, maybe we could, maybe you could send them to me anyways, and you can just recuse yourself or you could just guess wrong because that way, I mean, nothing changes really. Yeah. I might forget that that was the (laughs) one I sent you by the time we read it anyways. Maybe you never know. 
All right. I got one last one. Ryan zero. Nate's got one. Here we go. This is my favorite one. Worker disappears after he was accidentally paid more than 300 times his salary. A worker in blank submitted his resignation and could not be found after his job accidentally paid him about 330 times his salary because of a payroll error, according to reports. The worker, a dispatch assistant at a cold meats manufacturer, received a paycheck of $180,414. He was only supposed to be paid about $545. (coughs) The worker initially alerted his manager of the massive overpayment, according to a local media outlet. The manager then reported the issue to Human Resources, who asked the worker to go to his bank and return the extra money. He agreed to go to the bank the next day, but kept the money and ignored communications from his employer over the next few days. The man then offered his resignation through a letter sent to the company by his attorney. The worker has not been heard from since. He's going to go to jail. Well, it depends on where it happened because if the the important part of that story is that his resignation letter was sent through his attorney, which means that wherever he's at, there's some sort of employment laws or or payment laws where if you get paid, it's yours. You don't have to return it or something along those lines. Oh, that'd be smart. If he like turned right around, got a lawyer, and the lawyer was like, "Yo, go here," and he was like, "Okay," or or he's. He's in a different state or he's in a different country. I mean, he just took the money and left. I mean, he's gone. I'm going to say not Florida. I'm going to agree with Nate. What's your guys' reasoning? I I don't don't think Floridians, baseline Floridians, are smart enough to lawyer up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Brian. Sorry, bald man. Sorry, Justin. All those Floridians that I know. I love every Floridian that I know. We're just we're just making fun of Florida as a whole. Ryan, what's your reasoning? I don't have any reasoning. I was just agreeing with Nate because he has more points than I do. <laughs> All right. Well, you are both correct. That was not Florida. Yes. See, uh, I, I don't just carry in video games. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> That was actually uh, Chile, so that was outside the U.S. I I had to do the uh, the conversion because he actually got paid like over a million pesos or whatever whatever the the Chilean currency was. Yeah, it was an insane amount of money in Chile. So I mean, he's basically retired. He's done. He just he took his money, split. You could live like a king off a hundred grand in Chile. 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 Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. I just I just make it up. That's almost 200 grand. I mean, that's 180 grand. If you're only making 540 bucks a month and then all of a sudden somebody hands you 180 grand, you're set. I'd like to go to South America. That'd be cool. Go visit like all those ancient alien places. I just want to go to the tobacco farms. I actually at one point in time, I won a trip to go to uh, Honduras and the, the, the pain of it was, is that it didn't include airfare and the airfare just to go down there was like 1200 bucks. And at the time I just, there was no way I could do it. And I didn't want to go without my wife. I didn't want to like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go spend a week down in Honduras, you know, like cheers, you know? So I ended up not going, but it would have been awesome. 
I was going to go tour the Camacho uh, tobacco factory and everything. And it would have been awesome. Yeah. South America is a beautiful place. I mean, if you've seen like pictures and videos and stuff, there is some amazing scenery and countryside. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's it really the, is. One of the more beautiful places. I go for the food and for the history. Yeah. Almost tad. It's a tad bit term turbulent sometimes can be, but well, it depends on the country. Yeah. But they, I'm pretty sure they also don't let you just go travel to like a war zone. Yeah, no, the trip that I was going to take, you get, you get picked up by a bus at the airport. They have armed security. They take you to their compound. that's kind of like walled in and stuff, you know? Yeah. I've heard that before from people who went to them, like resorts, where like you go far enough down the beach and this guy's standing there with AKs, like just, you know, this is mm-hmm. where the property line is. Don't go past us. Yep. I'd go there. That'd be cool. It's very That's cold sick. here. Dude, it it's, my, it's my, my shop is uninsulated. I'm feeling it. Oh, that's oh, brutal. That, that sucks. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. We got our first snowstorm yesterday. Yep, same here. Yeah, it's supposed not, to get not, down. Too far away, so. It's supposed to get down to negative eight this week here. Ugh. Yeah, I'm usually fine with it. I mean, I grew up in it in the snow belt, and I am okay with it. I worked on a farm, you know, for my grandfather. He was an old tool and die guy and a farmer, and yeah, it's just dipping my hands into freezing water to cool down my knives is. It repeatedly gets you, you know? Yeah, and then you bump your knuckle on something and it hurts 50 times more because your hands are cold. Yeah, well, my, my osteoarthritis is already kicking in, so my knuckles hurt twice as much as they should sometimes. Yeah, it always sucks having to bust through a layer of ice to get down to your, your quench bucket. I recently, I got a little space heater that I can keep my shop at like 45 degrees because now that I'm in my smaller shop, it's actually a lot easier because my big shop was uninsulated and it sucked during the winter time. I basically just had one of those radiant heaters that I would just put, you know, next to the grinder facing me so that I could kind of stay warm when I was grinding. But the new shop, because it's so small, it's, I just insulated the door and then I've got a little heater in there that keeps it at like 45 degrees. So it, it keeps my ferric from freezing. It keeps my quench bucket from freezing. It's, Oh, it's so much better. I can't yeah. do it. I had I it. Pull, um, sorry, go ahead. I, I pull all that stuff inside. So all my glues, everything else is just inside the door and I'll go and grab them if I need to go out to the garage and, 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 and work. Um, but I think for the winter, I'm going to be doing a lot more grinding over at the makerspace because they got a two by 72 over there too. So yeah. Nice. And nice. And there heated. you go. Awesome. Yeah. I've got a big old Ashley wood stove out here and a hundred thousand BTU propane heater. I had that wood stove cooking last night. It was like three 30 in the morning. It was 85 degrees out here. Dang. Yeah. I, well, I was trying to boil water too. So I was like, <laughs> you got to keep feeding it when you're trying to boil water. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But, but what do you say well, we do with our last ad? Let's do it. From Phoenix Abrasives. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by PhoenixAbrasives.com, your one-stop abrasive shop. 
They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife-making kits, which have all the goods you need in one kit, as well as hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to phoenixabrasives.com and use the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. There you Thanks, go. Thanks, Luke. Phoenix Abrasives. Get you some gator belts. I was using those just earlier today. I was trying to... I've got a project, and I can't really talk about it because it's for a Christmas present, but I've got a, a non-knife project that I'm making for a gift, and it's it's one of those things that's kind of a weird shape to grind, and those those gator belts up into the higher grits were the ticket for trying to get those grind lines nice and smooth up into those higher grits. Um, I can't, that's what I've I can't been remember. saying. I can't remember I what, what the grits are because they're not in standard grits, but you know, a 60 or whatever it was that I was using. Um, yeah. Uh, they're the reverse of a standard belt. So a 300 is the most coarse, which I think it's like 80 grit. And yeah. then the lower the number, the higher the grit. Right. So yeah, the, the a 40 or the a 60 that I was using is probably somewhere in like the 600, 600 ish grit and it helps smooth things out like butter love it and they last so long it's amazing i love those oh, things speaking of noah vashon remember how he told me to take a diamond dresser to my trizax yeah i bought one and it works sweet it breaks off like that top layer and you get like fresh belt again well all right well i'll have to look into that then because i've got like one belt. The, one, the other thing that you have to be careful with those um, those gator belts is they will break. Um, I've had one or two of them break on me once I get pretty worn down there. And I think um, I think it was like on a small wheel that I was using. Um, and that could have been part of the reason why it broke on me. But you just got to be careful with that. But once they get, you know, kind of that glazing on them, I start to use them less. But if you had a dresser like that, the other thing you could probably do is, um, uh, who was, it? oh, Sharky, uh, was saying somewhere the other day, maybe in a reel that you can take like an old worn out 36 and just kind of roll it up and you can hit it on your buffing wheel and it'll help to kind of rake it and clean off all the old crap and everything. I'll bet you could do something like that you know, pretty similarly with, uh, with those gators as well. I followed that trick from Sharky because I don't have a rake, and it it work it works like a dream. Sweet, I'm gonna have to try that. I'm working on a really light colored handle right now, and I don't normally do light light colors. I really that's just not my personal preference. But I was working on another gift um, for someone that does like this one particular light, like kind of pastel color. And I paired it with some white liners and some white pins. And let me tell you, boys, you think that you want to do white liners. You do not. Okay. It, it's just like that hairdresser that you wanted to marry. No, it's not going to work out. Like you think you want to date the hairdresser. You think you want to get married and then she cheats on you. And then you know, all sorts of your door gets keyed. Your, I mean, all kind of weird stuff gets sent to your house in the mail. Like you're bad losing things me. Happen. I'm, you never <laughs> dated a hairdresser before. 
No, <laughs> you're losing me. We're talking about belts one second and then, <laughs> and then swinging I, right I, into hairdressers with white I, liners. Hairdresser? Well, I see you don't, you probably don't have a hairdresser. But, anyways, the point is, <laughs> is that working with white handle liners is a bad idea. Dating hairdressers is a bad idea. What, uh, what's going on with your, your liners? What, what specifically is busting you up? Oh, well, you touch them and they're, and they're dirty or, or you use, um, I was, I was hand sanding the, uh, like the spine and your, your sandpaper goes from touching the metal of the spine. And then if that portion of the sandpaper touches the liner, all of a sudden your liners are crap. They're dirt. I mean, it's, it doesn't just like get on the surface and then you can clean it off with, with acetone. It gets down in there because it's such fine you're getting that abrasive and you're getting that metal debris down in those white liners so i'm doing this like in strokes just like trying to get everything ground down perfectly and then somehow i got like this one this one black spot on the side of the of the the handle scale itself which is also a light color and i had to just grind down so far to get that thing out and i'm hand sanding so, I mean, I'm grinding it with like a, you know, a, a 400 grit on a, a sanding stick trying to get it and I finally get it out. And now it's, now I have to do the other side to make it because I took off so much material that now it's asymmetric. So anyways, moral yeah. of the story is that black liners is what I like to do. And, uh, and I like dark colored handle material. I did a, I did a Canadian themed knife that was uh, um, all G10. So red G10 with white G10 liners and white pins. And the liners worked out well enough. I mean, my Scotch Bright picked them up a bit, right? Mm -hmm. it, it didn't. They didn't get that dirty. Um, I also sandblasted that one too. After the fact, but does the sandblasting other. help take care it of just, the? It, it it just gave the G10 a bit more character. That's all. And there there were, there wasn't any kind of any kind of uh, um, sanding lines after that. So it allowed me to stop at like. I think I stopped at 120 on the handle. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. And then, and then just, then just bead blast it, right? Hmm. Put it in the blast cabinet. And, yeah, that's a good I trick. Gave it a matte, gave it a matte finish, but it kept it clean. So that, and I used, um, I used some opaque white from my comic book inking uh, to help dye the epoxy as well, just in case there's any kind of, you know, little, little oh, seams, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm I'm doing a uh, uh, what would you call it, like an integral bolster on one of them, and I've got a, um, you know the guard guard fixture with the carbide on it, and so I can get it pretty flat, but you get that G10 up against it, and it's like ah, there's still it's not freaking perfect, you know, and so I'm doing dark colors on that one, so it's pretty easy, you know, I just slap some some black epoxy dye in there and that's just going to help take care of any of those little tiny gaps that most people wouldn't notice but i i just get so picky with it it has to has to fit i'm, up I'm totally of the camp where i will always dye my epoxy me too yeah. yep. any any opportunity i get i will for sure i used maroon pins and liners the other day and they look really sexy. good yeah, that was I really something I haven't seen before. I wouldn't have thought of it. I kind of had to hunt for it 
I got it from Atlas Billiard Supplies on eBay. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of stuff from them. They get yeah. good stuff. Yeah, it's it's good quality G10 too, because not all G10 is created equal. No, it um, is not. Especially pin stock. And yeah, I I was glad the customer asked for maroon because I'm definitely going to be using it again. See, and that's that's an aspect that we don't talk about enough, I don't think. Like, I've gotten some weird requests doing custom orders that I never would have thought of myself. And I kind of hated it at the time. But in the end, it taught me something new. Like, it, it added something to my repertoire that wouldn't have been there before. And so, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to, to doing, you know, however you want to make your business and stuff. But uh, having customers put in re- weird requests or, or random little things that you wouldn't have thought of, it... it it's definitely helped me expand and grow um, through my process and everything. Yeah. 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 Like Tiffany blue. I got a request for some Tiffany blue and I was like, Tiffany blue. What the fuck is that? And then I had to do some digging and I think, I I think maker material supply was the only place that had G10 and Tiffany blue. Um, I, I have a stock of Tiffany blue for one customer. That uh, that it's that close to knife. like a mint, almost. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like a it's kind of like a robin's egg kind of greenish teal kind of color. But yeah, um, that fillet knife that I just finished up with the stainless over Damascus has the the Tiffany blue liners, and that customer's whole set has Bago candles with with Tiffany blue. Oh, I bet that likes. looks good. Yep, I've seen a couple of makers use that 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 sort of uh, that color as well. Um, uh, uh, Barn Barn and Brooks, um, and then uh, Mike the Knife Johnson. It's been using a lot of interesting pastelly colors too lately. Mm. Well, after Christmas, you guys will see some pastelly colors from me. I'm always Not- on the hunt for something cool, cool liner material, hand, like handle material. I actually, while I was shopping around for uh, different color G10, I found half inch micarta tubes ooh and then i had vintage westinghouse paper micarta pins that i got from pops and it just by happenstance they fit perfectly in the core of those tubes so i glued up like an inch of it and i'm going to make uh, some inlays on something they won't be structural pins cuz i'm going to do it on a hidden tang but i'll just like you know, make but a half inch hole and epoxy it in. Yeah. yeah that'll look cool. Yeah. Never I know. find some of my materials in strange places. Mm-hmm. I'm looking, looking at HVAC supply places for, you know, deals on tubing, um, automotive stuff too, um, for brake lines, you know, getting that stainless tubing. Yeah. I, I've got oh, a that's... few sections of brake tubing in my shop that I, <laughs> I've wanted to experiment with using, using them as pin stock. I haven't gotten around to it yet though. Yeah. I just the, remember my grandfather always using, um, alternative ways of fixing all the machinery on the farm and fixing some of his other, other press work and stuff at his tool and die place. So it's kind of, uh, picked up that MacGyver gene, I guess. The first ever lanyard tube I ever put on a knife was a push rod that I had cut. Cause Oh, hollow. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I've used a like a like a carbon fiber arrow shaft before. 
Um, that was pretty fun because I bow nice. hunt, so I have you know scrap arrows laying all over the place. You know something gets damaged or you know practice arrows or whatever, and there's a few different thicknesses that they have, but one of them is pretty close to like a standard quarter inch tubing that you would use. So worked out really well. Nice. Nice. I've got a few buddies here locally on the hunt for micarta for me because, you know, it's still used sometimes like in uh, electrical applications for transformers and stuff like that. I actually got a couple blocks from a buddy of mine who's an electrician uh, down at the dam and he brought me two blocks of a type of wood that I've never heard of before. Uh, I'm going to mess up the the name here, but I think it was called Lignum Vita, um, which obviously you can make lots of jokes with, but the Lignum Vita is, so I'd say ironwood, I think is somewhere like 2,500 on the Jenka scale of hardness for wood. And this stuff is like 3,600. It's insanely hard and I do not want to work with it, but it looks really cool. But I guess they used to use it for like bearings and stuff on the old turbines uh, for the dam and, and all kinds of stuff, but it's kind of been phased out for newer materials. Actually the meaning of the word lignum vitae or vitae or vita or whatever is tree of life. Isn't it like the national tree of, uh, of some country or something like that? It doesn't say it is the hardest and heaviest traded wood being three to four times the hardness of English oak. God damn. Yeah. It's, it's so freaking hard that if, if it's not, uh, it, it, it cracks. It, it's so hard that it doesn't, uh, doesn't hold together. So uh, I don't know if I'll similar actually, to walnut. I don't know if I'll actually be able to use it, but it was really interesting to get. And it's, you know, a piece of local history being used on the dam here. Yeah, that's where that 300-pound block of my car that I got came from, was the local mill. You can see the mill it came from, from my house. That's awesome. Yeah, it's almost gone. Well, it's like, I probably got half of it left. And that stuff is hard. That's Jimmy that's Christmas. That shit's hard to work with if you're doing a big handle with it. Like I prefer it for spacer material because it's it burns easy. But mm-hmm. uh, some some guys have pulled it off nice. Pickle did a really nice knife with with some of my micarta. Um, uh, Mike had done yeah Brigham did. Um, Mike had done at MD Edgeworks like nailed it, nailed it. Um, probably top two nicest knives I've seen done with it. Um, number one nicest handle I've seen done with it is Theodore the Maker that I sent him a chunk. And he's like, I think he's 15 or 16 years old. He's in Sweden. Oh, jeez. Yeah, super talented young fella. You can tell he's probably got really good parents. Well, let's check his workout. I don't think I've heard of him. Yep. But Theod- Theodore the Maker. Speaking of awesome knives i saw just this morning um you said pickle that reminded me of it he made i don't know if it's like a sand mai or if it's just like a really low layer damascus but he made i think it's like a pairing pairing style knife with basically it's it's black along like the whole side of it and then just in the just along the edge there's some damascus 
and it's easily my favorite knife that I've seen from Pickle. It is so freaking cool. It's got like this matte finish on it. It's like black. It just looks absolutely villainous, just like a murdered out looking blade. It's so freaking cool. I can't wait to see how it finishes out with the handle on it. But um, I'm sure most of the guys that are listening to this probably follow Pickle. But if you don't, Pickle Cutters on Instagram with one of the coolest knives that I've seen in quite a while. Former co-host of this show. Good, That's good, right. Good guy. Good guy. Yep. I met with Pickle a lot. I played. Actually, yep. I was in the, the same house with him and Brian House, and Pickle put up with my snoring, so I owe him a favor. <laughs> nice. All right. Right yeah. on. He, he's just north of me. He's like four hour four hour drive up the highway. But the what the one thing you can always say about Pickle is that his work never gets stagnant. Like you know, a, a lot of makers, including myself, have been guilty of this, where we get comfortable making the same knives over and over and over again because we've mastered them. You've, as long as I've known him, there's always been a progression in Pickles' knives. You know what I mean? He'll make like the same or similar ones for like a month or two, but then it uh, it always molds into something different, and like his style is always evolving. Yep, I agree. That it's one of those guys you can definitely see the progression. I mean, when I first started following him back in the day, he wasn't even doing much hand sanding. He was, you know, doing that rough finish because that's what his customers loved. And I mean, he still does that sort of stuff on occasion, but the dude's work is so freaking clean. Like he progresses, like you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's I, I teach my students that style is just shorthand, right? It's it's basically you developing the skills enough to be able to say what you want, but with less words. Right. Um, so pickle evolving like that, it just makes sense because he's trying new things, hitting those plateaus and then, you know, elevating a shorthand, right. Adding mm-hmm. new, new tricks to his, his, uh, his bat belt. Yep. New tools in the tool shed. That was very eloquently said. I really love that. That was good. Yep. Wow. Cool guys. Well, yeah, we've been so going about an hour and ten in. Do we want to go yeah. ahead and wrap this up? Yeah, let's do it. This is Nate, a fun. Was there one. anything else you wanted to? Anything else you wanted to get off your chest? Tell the world. No, just before uh, we get off thanks here. For, thanks for uh, having me on, guys. It's been good. Uh, look forward to meeting you in person at Blade. You know, make it out to the show. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I had a lot of fun there last time, and uh, a lot of fun. You know. Um, doing this this new hobby soon to be side hustle right um so check you check me out over at walrus steel on instagram and um talk to me a little bit about video games too always happy to hear it <laughs> absolutely I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a few uh, a few people who had similar childhoods to ours and a standing uh, challenge if you can beat me halo 2 lockout 1v1 with shotguns i'll give you one of my knives one v one halo two lockout shotguns only shotguns are my favorite weapon from halo man that is a tempting that is a okay all right Uh, and the sword i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to brush up on my on my halo skills it's been a while but uh wow that's that's quite the challenge okay so uh, go ahead ryan if I just want to say it before we get off the air. If they're doing a B and B house this year, I would like to get my name in the hat 
to throw down on the house. Because it'll be easier for me than staying in a hotel room. We're just all going to be one big happy family. We're just going to have to rent out a mansion and all, all the, the, the podcast group, all the listeners, all, all the hosts. We're just all going to be together with one big happy family. I don't snore. I'm a teeth grinder. So, you know, it's a little better. I snore astronomically loud. Every so often, my wife will send me a video while I'm at work of me snoring the night before, and it sounds like a freight train hitting a diesel pickup. It's uh, it's awful. So I've, forewarned. I've done that to my wife. I've taken videos of her snoring and played them back for her the next day. Uh-oh. I had I had one video of her snoring, and both of my dogs were sitting up, staring at her on the bed, like. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. Oh, jeez. All right, right, so Nate's going to have some some knives up for sale. He's going to be selling his knives. You said, what, a week and a half? Yeah, before the new year. I got to make those taxes, right? Right? Gotcha. All right, so guys, be on the lookout. Walrus Steel, he's going to have some knives up for sale before the new year. Do yourself a favor. Go check out his work. Go check out his his tubing pin style because I feel like you're going to love it. So. There you go. There'll be a giveaway too. So, ooh, giveaways! Nice. Did you guys hear that? No. Nope. Get on over there. Follow World of Steel. Thanks, folks. Thanks for coming Bye, on, guys. man. Have a great week. <laughs>